Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back, everybody, to Blow the Belt podcast. Uh, thank you for sticking with us during the quarantine and COVID-19 and lockdowns and all that sort of stuff. Um, there's, uh, I read something earlier on today about how podcasts are going up by 50%. There's like shitloads more podcasts out there. So thank you for everyone for sticking with us. Uh, today, I'm with Flonius Filth. How are you, bud? What's up? What's up? Good, good, not bad. Um... That's the opposite of the band. Good, good, not bad. Anyway, um, yeah, no, no, I'm good, man. I'm good. It's been a while. Yeah, how have you been finding lockdown and stuff? It's been good. It's been good. I'm going to miss it, you know, because spending a lot more time with the family, you know, yeah. um, time that we wouldn't have spent together. And, you know, you take it for granted now. It's a bit frustrating because I can't see, you know, members of my family and close friends. But I'm just appreciating the time that I have with, you know, my immediate family. That's it. No, it's, it's important, man. It's important to have time at home and work on those little things, those little things that, that perhaps we don't get time to do, you know. And uh, yeah, like you said, spending time with the family is really, really important, really, really good. So it's good. It's excellent stuff. So we've been doing, obviously, a lot lately. I did the podcast with Paul Zanon, and that was about Borrero Morales. And then I did a podcast which came out today about David Hay. And you messaged me and said you wanted to talk about James DeGale. Yeah, I mooted that for a long time. Yeah, and I, I think, finally get on, get on with it. I think listeners, long-time listeners of the podcast will know he's one of your favourites. Is that fair? I think it's because of where he's from more than anything else. But he was someone whose career I tried to follow closely, but there were periods where I turned my back on him. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to come on to that. We're going to come on to that as we go along. So it was very much a geographical thing? Um, Pretty much, Um. Audley Harrison is from the same neck of the woods, so I always had a soft spot for him and wanted him to do well. 
You know, the same with De Gale um, when he got the gold medal, you know, as representing Harlesden, you know, Northwest 10 and that. And I thought, yeah, let me follow this guy's career. And, you know, there's been some testing times in and out of the ring, but yeah, he's my boy still. I can't, I, I, you know, I can't drop him now. No, no, you know, yeah, that's it. You know, if, if I'm your friend today, I'm your friend tomorrow. It's just one of those, isn't it? But, you know, it's, Harris, it's, it's a bit ironic, actually, because I met Flav because of the De Gale v. Groves fight. So, you know, I guess I should be thankful for the girl for something. Yeah, I actually on the David Hay podcast, it only came out today, so you probably haven't heard it yet. But we actually spoke about that. That that was when you met. You met. It was the Groves fight that you met, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. And you were. He said. He said on the last podcast that you guys were just messaging each other about the fight. Is that right? Yeah. Um. I think you know it was a build up to the fight, and I'm probably on my timeline saying the team De Gale and all that sort of usual rubbish. Mm. And then. I think, you know, me and Flav have gone a bit back and forth because he wanted Groves to win. Mm. I just couldn't see a way that Groves could win. I mean, in hindsight, you know, it looks silly looking back now. I mean, it's a bit of friendly bents and um, mentioned he was a Spurs fan. Then I think shortly after, I think there's a few other boxing boxing matches we talked about. You know, and then, you know, said he's starting a podcast. Yeah. You know, um, said yes, came in about eight episodes in and, and not looked back. So, rest is history. Yeah, Viva de Gaal. <laughs> we've got him we've got him to thank and uh, something that I've just just popped in my head um i was on uh no holds barred that it's like a fight for people that don't know it's a fighting cock kind of offshoot podcast it's called no holds barred and it's behind the patreon paywall and uh flav reminded me of the twitter hashtag boxing heads oh god yeah him and ricky always definitely something about that <laughs> it was Ricky that was on it at the time and it was, it was on the podcast with me when we were talking about it and I forgot all about that but every time you tweeted about boxing everyone would do it wouldn't they they would put hashtag boxing heads at the end of their at the end of their um tweet or whatever it yeah was, I think uh, there's a I think there's a subreddit called that as well oh okay okay something before we start talking about the gal in more detail something that um that I've been quite uh, fond of recently is the reddit um subreddit boxing circle jerk do you ever go on that uh not so often basically lately what i've noticed is that the boxing circle jerk so for people that don't know there's a normal boxing subreddit which is just normal shits news and stories and old clips and all that sort of stuff and then there's boxing circle circle jerk which is just kind of a piss take it's funny memes and stuff like that and lately on that they've just been ripping into terence crawford like all the time calling him shit his resume shit he's a bum all that sort of stuff and everyone just seems to be going for terence crawford at the minute and it's just really been making me laugh (laughs) (laughs) and someone went on there and they were just telling all these lies about him like they were just telling all these lies and made up all this stuff to say why he was crap like and I did nearly bite and start correcting them and I thought no that's not the point you're not supposed to do that don't get involved kind of thing um so in terms of like to move on to James DeGale what was kind of like your early memories of like see, see be, like becoming aware of him was it was it the Olympics it was it was the Olympics yeah I can't say I had a forensic following of his career as an amateur mm. but I knew he was um, highly touted before the Olympics um you know won gold and um I think he signed a Frank Warren of um, Frankie Gavin and a bunch of other guys. So, you know, mm. it's kind of a new crop coming through. I think mm. Billy Joe's Saunders was among them too. So, followed him keenly. Um, I think at the time when he just turned pro, I think it was less than 10 years away from um, from Audley turning pro. Mm. 
and you know Audley had you know like Beverly Knight and these people singing songs singing them into the ring and all that stuff and mm. I was hoping mistakes would be repeated but I remember um Deneo the the rapper rapping him in right. into the ring. was that on his I, debut was it I don't know if, I don't think it's his debut right but early on it was it, it was fairly it might have been a, it might have been a gross fight I can't remember but I remember I do remember Deneo rapping him in a few times and I thought yeah here we go uh, it does ring a bell for the for the Degeo, for the sorry for the gross fight there that does that does ring a bell that one does yeah so I, I I like you really I didn't I wasn't someone that was you know an expert at, at his you know I didn't know loads about his amateur career I don't even really remember watching much um of his Olympic performances to be honest because uh, it was in it was in China wasn't it that that, that Olympics yeah Beijing. So the, yeah the, so the time difference probably meant I just didn't end up watching any of it um what some people don't know about UT is that you're quite into track and field aren't you massively yeah you are so is like the olympics like a big thing for you is that something you really enjoy um i used to yeah um, i mean it's the same thing with football where when the world cup came around you'd find these fancy new exotic names in world football Mm. and you know you're not saturated like we are now with images of someone in germany doing really well someone in south america doing really well so when the olympics are coming and think you know who have the americans got in the 100 meters you know what what's Britain's of jamaica got so that's kind of uh, my grounding in athletics. But yeah, the Olympics is the pinnacle of it. And I think Usain Bolt won his first gold in that one. So it was a memorable Olympics. I remember. Yeah, that does sound right. Yeah, because before that was Sydney, wasn't it? 2004. So that does sound right. Athens. Does, oh, it was Athens. Or Sydney was 2000. Yeah. Yeah, there we are. Um, yeah, so no, that does sound right. But yeah, it was... I, I, I'm not really into track and field, really, but, you know, every, everyone, when, when Usain Bolt would, would race, it was a it was the thing that you just had to be there and you had to watch it. Um, but you made a, you, you've, you said that he turned over with Frank Moran and he went pro with Frank Moran. Um, and he kind of, just looking at his record, he kind of like blitzed through his first like six, seven fights. Um, and the first thing that when people really to take notice of him was when he beat Carl Dilks. And Carl Dilks had just lost a, I remember it, he'd lost like a quite uh, close decision to Charles Adamu for the Commonwealth title. Um, and Charles Adamu ended up losing that title to George Groves. Is that is that when you thought perhaps that was that he's going to be a, a top fighter? The I Dilks fight, do you think? I think it was a fight after that, Paul Smith. Um, yeah. Because Paul Smith was probably a bit more of a gatekeeper around those times and... I think that might be his best performance of his entire career in the terms of um, just being so complete. But I think it was a Paul Smith fight where I thought, you know what, he could really go on and, you know, do do bits here. Yeah, I, yeah, I remember that. He, he fought Paul Smith. Paul Smith was British champion. Um, yeah, he was. He won the British title and he was expected to really push the Gale that night, I remember. Yeah. And it was on box office. Uh, Cleverly was on the card. Tony Belly was on the card. This was in the dark days of, you know, we moan about Sky Box Office now. But if you look, this was a, this was a, a Sky Box Office card. They had Belly against Ovil McKenzie, Dave oh, against Najib Mohammadi, Paul Smith against James DeGale, Matthew Macklin against Ruben Varon, uh, Kel Brook against Philip Cote. Like we complain about Sky, Sky Sports Box Office now. But that if you read in that card, that's a Sky. That's never a pay-per-view card, is it? Never in a month of Sundays, but that's just how far, how far the sport has gone. I feel that Degale is probably an example of 
know, if he turned pro maybe four or five years later, might have had a very different career. But mm-hmm. yeah, it was a one man town back then. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. This was when Frank Warren had the had the Sky deal, and I think Frank Maloney or now Kelly was was had a deal as well, and he had David Price and stuff like that. He, you know, th- uh, Frank at the time loved loved kind of he loved heavyweights. Uh, one thing I do you know one thing I did notice before we move on to you know to talk about the Paul Smith fight a bit more, I've noticed how many promoters he was with James DeGale. Yeah, he really did go through them. He turned over with Frank, then he went to Mick Hennessy. Then he went to Hearn. Then he went to Hearn. Then he went PBC with Al Heyman. Then he went back to Frank. <laughs> oh, yeah, just for the fight, just for the last fight. For the Kuleb, uh, Caleb Trulex fight. But I think he was still with PBC. And then in the last fight, it was Richard Poxon. Oh, the, fuck, I remember him. Yeah, very weird-looking man. Yeah, he is. He's kind of skeletal-looking man, isn't he? Yeah. But, um, yeah, he's, like, proper done the rounds with promoters, like... I almost admire it. I don't know about you, but I almost admire it. It's like I'm not gonna, you know, you look at Billy Joe Saunders' career and you just kind of look at it and you think you was with Frank Warren far too long. Like you need to just move on and change and and have a different scenery. It's interesting, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know what you think. It reminds me a bit of um of the Last Dance. It's quite people took the took the famous bad contract. Mm, Sometimes yeah. they probably stay with Warren because they know that they're not going to be. I don't know for a lot of cases they're not going to be top dog of Eddie Hearn because that's you know Anthony Joshua. So point. if you join, so if you join, you're going to be a second fiddle. If you're a super middle with Warren, you might get more focus on you. So it might be an element of that. But looking on it on paper, it doesn't look good. I think Eubank Jr. is another one who's been through a few promoters as well. Mm. Yeah, he was with Eddie briefly, wasn't he? And he's yeah, been with he the trainers as well. Funny, he's training with Roy Jones Jr. right now. Yeah, I, I saw that on um, on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of these kind of legendary fighters are really starting to t- take the training. I watched a couple of clips with uh, Floyd Mayweather and Devin Haney. I don't yeah, that was really that. interesting, that one. Yeah. That was, wasn't it? Because Floyd actually looked interested. Yeah. Like, he wasn't just there fucking around. He looked like, no, I want to make you better. I'm going to improve you kind of thing. So, to me, that was really interesting just watching that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the Paul Smith fight, yeah, like you said, he was expected to kind of push DeGale. And DeGale just kind of smashed him, didn't he? He made it look very, very easy in the end. And I think that sent out a message to, to George Groves. I think Groves probably had a few rocky fights before they before they faced each other. I think mm. Kenny Anderson was one, the Scottish guy. Yeah, and, he um, dropped him, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, so I think that sent out a bit of a statement, and that probably helped make the fight in the end. Yeah, no, no, I think you're right. I remember that Kenny Anderson fight, and I think that was on a box office card as well, and he, he just he got dropped badly by Kenny Anderson, he ended up picking himself up and winning on a stoppage. And Kenny Anderson never really heard from him again after that, but he was someone that people really liked, but he just never really heard from him again. I think he had some some personal problems and stuff like that. But yeah. uh, I think I, I think I think that fight, I think you're right. Like, the Paul Smith performance was probably the best performance of his career. But And I think after that, people expected him to do that as he moved up to the levels, like to, to dominate fights like that. Yeah. And he never really did again, did he? No, I mean, something you often refer, you often say when you speak about the girl that he just fights at the level of his opponent. Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the few fights where he just went out and did a job and smashed him. Mm, yeah. Perhaps it's just a style thing, you know, Paul Smith's not the biggest puncher, not the fastest. Perhaps it was just a style thing. He was just, you know, made made to order, you know, for, for, for DeGale and his style kind of thing. But yeah, it was just an interesting thing just looking through his record today. I just thought he never really did that again. Um 
but it was a brilliant win. He won the British title that night. George Groves won the Commonwealth title against Kenny Anderson. And then that, that set up the, the, the big show at the O2 Arena when you and Metflav locked eyes. And yeah, at the O2 Arena. I don't know if they sold it out. I don't think they did. And I remember buying it on pay-per-view, deciding to buy it on pay-per-view like two hours before it was due to start. And you know me, I fucking buy everything. But I remember just like, oh, do you know what? I'll fucking fucking buy it. Sod it. I'll buy it. And it was a... What do you remember about the build-up to it? Before we get to the fight, what do you remember about the build-up? I remember being a bit embarrassed by the girl. You know, the whole you're ugly and your breath stinks type type thing. But I couldn't see a way that that the girl could lose. Mm. Because he's not even, you know, he's never ever vulnerable in fights. Always comfortable, always in control. And his um, long amateur pedigree, you know, the skills that he had made it look easy for him. So... I just thought he'd just keep Groves at bay, keep him at range, and I think it just became a bit, became a bit partisan, and I wasn't very objective leading up to the fight. Yeah, I was about to say that the the Scott and Groves actually mentioned it afterwards. Johnny Nelson, in particular, really showed his colours, and he was really just like pro de Gale, pro de Gale all the way up. And I think Sky probably wanted de Gale to win because. Yeah. He had the Olympic backing. He he was he was with Frank obviously, and he was their tick. They you know he had a good personality, um, and I think they probably thought yeah that's going to be the next star of boxing. They looked at Groves and myself and Flav spoke about this. He was with Adam Booth, and they liked on their own, didn't they? They didn't yeah. like playing. They didn't like going with the status quo like Haymaker, did they? Like Booth and Hay, they didn't like doing the thing that's the status quo. They didn't get go with Frank Warren or you know, Barry Hearn or the Eddie or Barry Hearn or top rank. They like to do their own thing. They like to be kind of outsiders. And so having George win probably didn't suit Sky. And I remember that at the time that it was really, like you said, it was really quite partisan, really quite biased. And the Gale didn't come across well. I wanted to ask you about the perception of the Gale as a person do you think what what do you what do you think it is and do you think it's fair he's not i don't think he's an easy person to really love um um, and i think he's there's a lot of insecurity about him you know um i think in the lead up in the build up to the eubank jr fight i think eubank jr said he's more upset that i called him ugly than said that he's crap and (laughs) you know that probably sums up his personality to a degree he needs he kind of needs to be loved and um I was going to save it till after, but I think there was um, an Eddie Hearn show that, and um, the girl was on the camera and the crowd kind of cheered yeah. and he never had, he didn't know what to do. Yeah. He kind of pointed at himself, didn't he? He pointed at himself like, what, who, me? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I want to I want to come on to that because that's, that's an interesting point. And it's, I, you know, I've been around boxing a little while and where I work, I work, you know, I work over in West London, over in Hammersmith way, which is, kind of Groves territory and I've met a lot of people that know DeGale and a lot of people obviously met a lot of people in boxing as well and everybody says the same thing about James DeGale is that he's a lovely lovely bloke like he's really really nice but back then if you and even back then people would say that but back then if you saw him on TV you'd think he's a dickhead like he just didn't come across well but everybody said he was a lovely bloke and I'm sure he is a lovely bloke and perhaps, you know, perhaps the, the lights went on with the camera and perhaps it brought out a different side of him. Or perhaps it was just selling fights, you know. Yeah, um, I, think, I feel there's an element of that. But I feel that, um, I don't know, I just don't think he's, I don't think he's very secure in himself. And I think it just came up with wanting to have um, 
a witty soundbite of every line he said, you know. Um, mm. It's like the jokes he said about Groves are very, very schoolyard. And it's like he's just kind of scraping for something to try and sell the fight. Yeah. And I guess they, they knew each other from the gym or, the, you know, being in the gym. They knew each other from the amateurs. Um, and perhaps when he came across Groves, it took him back to that place, to that yeah. gym, that gym kind of banter kind of like you said it's kind of schoolboyish, kind of lads in the gym and he just kind of just it's and perhaps groves groves is really good at the mind games isn't he he's really good at like mind games and getting bringing out the worst in people you look think about the carl frotch he brought out the worst in him as well yeah and perhaps it was just a case of groves getting in getting in his nut a bit oh massively absolutely i think groves seemed unflappable but then there are times when, you know, there's guys scour trying to make it look like um, Groves is nervous at a press conference. But yeah, you know, I think looking back, you know, looking back in hindsight, you know, Groves is very, very um, emotionally smart. Mm. Yeah, he is. He's got, yeah, he's got more emotional intelligence than kind of most, most boxers. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so thinking about the fight itself, what do you remember about the fight? How who do you, do you remember thinking either fight a one do you remember enjoying it not enjoying it the crowd what kind of sticks out in your mind it's a very very nervous fight um the girl didn't start very well i think in the first five six rounds mm. but um my memories of it is just tension it's like when you watch a really important spurs game you don't enjoy it you know yeah you know it's like you go on social media and you say you know arsenal for spurs you know that's a game that i hate because it's just so emotionally draining and that's how it felt like a little bit in the fight because um I wasn't overly confident that the girl won when the when the bell went. Right. And I think that feeling throughout the fight made it a difficult watch. Mm. I, I I remember I remember at the time I think I might have scored it I think I scored it seven five to Groves. And one thing that I definitely, definitely remember was scoring four of the first five rounds to, to Groves. I remember really, really early scoring for the first five to Groves and just thinking he's he's he kept him at range. And afterwards, uh, there was a, do you remember the remember ringside that was on Sky? Yeah, yeah. They had like a post fight one on and they had Groves and they had Adam Booth in the in the studio. And this is when his name, the dot his nickname, the Dark Lord was kind of coined. <laughs> and Adam Booth spoke a lot about keeping the gale at range because he likes to he likes to get you in that mid-range and what booth called it was the blender it's what adam booth said if when he gets you in the blender i.e that mid kind of range just inside his reach but outside of yours that's when he fucking chops you up yeah but if you can keep him at range and don't get in that blender if you like or in the mid-range then you can you can maneuver him and you can you can win rounds that way and that's what Groves kind of did on that night he just kind of kept him at range but in the second half of the fight I remember because uh, Groves was cut on the forehead and he was marked up really badly and the guy didn't look marked at all did he no he never does well very, no. rarely anyway no only only Porky Medina only Porky Medina bashed him <laughs> <laughs> but we'll talk about that a little bit more in a little while but yeah even though groves looked worse he's someone that always marks up anyway he looked worse but i thought groves won the fight and i, I thought he deserved to get the win on the night and that means he you know that was the game's first loss and one of the, the questions that was asked at the time um, mcdonald remember jim mcdonald uh, yeah the trainer 
they thought they won, didn't they? I think Jim McDonald had been told by someone, we've got this, we've got this. And he was told wrong, basically. Do you think perhaps that was, in hindsight, perhaps the right time to perhaps get rid of Jim McDonald? Oh, man, it's one of those, will they, won't they? Um, mm. I thought he should have binned him off from the outset, man. Um, I think after that defeat, you were outthunk by the other corner pretty badly. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I thought you should have probably binned him after that first defeat. Yeah, yeah. I, I think one thing that, you know, that, that, that looked pretty obvious to me as an outsider was that he had too many sycophants in his camp, too many people telling him he was the bollocks. There was too many people saying to him, probably a lot of them working for Sky as well, saying that they was, he was going to smash up Groves and that not taking him seriously. And I think they just didn't take him seriously. And I think you're probably right. He probably could have got rid of McDonald there, but I think he ended up keeping him rest of his career pretty much, didn't he? Um, and it was... Yeah, it was Groves. Groves kind of went off his way, and then um, James DeGale ended up going in, going into what I'll call the the Blue Water era of his of his career, when he he left Frank Warren, he went to Mick Hennessy, and then suddenly he's on Channel Five every week. He's on Channel Five every fight scene. What do you <laughs> remember about that time? Do you remember watching much of it? I didn't watch a lot of it. No, um, I think when you lose away, which he did, not not they lost the fight itself badly, but just no. all the uh, was it Schadenfreude? You know, yeah. it made it difficult to take him seriously after that, and that was that must have been a really awful era for him. Mm. But you know, sometimes you probably think how much of that was brought on by your own personality. You know, you smothered your own good work to a degree. Yeah, that was it. It was like, like I said before, he's known in the boxing community, if you like, as this lovely bloke. And people I that I used to work with, you know, had done some stuff with him, and they said he's lovely, like he's such a nice bloke, kind of thing. And uh, yeah, and I think that the stuff with Groves didn't it didn't help him. And I think it harmed his career. And he's gone with Mick Hennessy. To be fair to him, straight after the Groves fight, he boxes for the European title. So he loses the British title and manages to get a shot at the European title, probably because it was so close. Yeah. And he wins the European title next fight out. It's a majority decision. So it's not again. He's it, this starts this period in his career where. He starts to go life and death with everybody. Right? Every fight is a hard fight. Um, um, you know, he beat Mohammadi. European. He had the European title for quite a while, uh, and then I think it was around. We'll fast forward a bit, and he started to. I think it was when he, he ended up leaving McKenzie and going to Eddie Hearn, and he started to look at you know a world a world title fight again. Um, do you remember when he boxed Marco Antonio Parabano when uh, I think it was, it was the Echo Arena in Liverpool? He did a right job on him. Do you remember that one? It feels like an undercard fight, but yeah. It was on the yeah, it was on the Tony Bellew Nathan Cleverly undercard, the second fight. Okay. <laughs> he just completely just steamrolled, you know, Paraban. And Paraban was good. I I saw Paraban box in Vegas. Um, he boxed JD on Love on the Mayweather undercard, and so I knew about Paraban a little bit back then. And then he beat—he also beat Brandon Gonzalez, who was with um, Andre Ward's trainer, Virgil Hunter, at the time, if I remember rightly. And he smashed him in like four rounds. He had this kind of—he had this phase where he was just getting rid of people and just knocking people out. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And that—that that kind of led him into the world title fight when he, he boxed Andre Dorrell. What's kind of your memories of that, T? Of the of Andre Dorrell fight? Man, I think I, I think it's one of those I watched in uh, the following morning. I didn't watch it live. Yeah, it was a, it was a very, it was a very low. It was an ITV, I think. That sound that rings a bell. Yeah. Because um, 
there wasn't much hype for the fight yeah. as such. Um, the, the Duel Brothers are another ones who had lots of potential and didn't quite achieve it. But I just, it's one of those fights that almost passed it by. It's only probably the week where I realised that the fight was on. Mm. And um, I think when I watched the fight back, um, no, it was, it was it was beautiful to see, you know. It kind of gave him a bit of redemption from losing to Groves. I think he still felt that until... I think that fight probably got over a lot of that. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I remember watching it, and I remember having it closer than what the judges had. The judges ended up scoring it 117-109 and 114-112 twice. There was a couple of knockdowns. Um, Darrell was down twice. I was pretty sure that the, the gale got dropped near the end. But... Yes, that, that's, that's, I, didn't want to, I didn't want to commit to that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I felt like the gale did go down, but I'm just quickly looking at box records. He, he went down, I think he went down heavy in the 12th, and the bell saved him. Yeah, yeah, that, that, I feel like he did, but it does. On box, I'm just looking at box track. It doesn't say anything about the gal going down, so I might, I might no, have I that think, wrong. I think, I think maybe the ropes kept him up. It might have been one of those where right. he got knocked across the ring like um, Pratted against um, Povetkin, right. and and he just kind of just stumbled to the to the to the bell. Yeah, I, and the the two one fourteen one twelve cards, that was about right for me because I remember feeling as it in the middle rounds in particular, that the gap that Darrell was beating him, that he was just starting to just get back the points and that the gale perhaps had he got the two knockdowns really really early and thought yeah i've got this i'm going to get this guy out of here kind of thing because he was knocking people out he'd had a few stoppages in a row he'd had three stoppages in a row before then and he just kind of thought i'll get rid of him but he just never did and durell was a good boxer he's not the most exciting but he was a good technically sound boxer gave frotch fits and he for me he was just nicking rounds as the fight went is that he was winning rounds as it went on i was a little bit worried for him at the end i thought you know i thought it was in america and i thought maybe that the, the gale would kind of get screwed over but he didn't he won the title and you, you were saying earlier about um going back to the o2 back to england he won the world title and then he got this great reception didn't he t yeah um, i think that's probably the first time in his career i mean it's after he'd lost to to groves i know it's after that period and I think he probably had a lot of egg in his face from obviously you know the insults to to Grove I think he even got bought in front of the boxing board of control as well so to go from that to having people cheer for him and he didn't know how to react at all and I felt I felt it for him because there's a lot of boxers who you know come across awfully who are meant to be nice people I mean Bellew is another one who neither me or you love but it seems to be the consensus within boxing that he's, he's a top bloke mm yeah yeah and i remember i remember seeing that i can't remember what what show it was it was probably uh you know 2015 to maybe an anthony joshua card or something like that and um i remember that happening and then eddie hearn doing a ifl interview and he said something because he was a after that he kind of felt like the gal should have stayed in england because he didn't he ended up going to box back in america again yeah yeah he kind of I don't know if you remember that that interview because I know Alex has mentioned it on the podcast before and Alex kind of agreed with Eddie that he should have stayed in England and carried on boxing in England instead of boxing the majority of the rest of his career in America. What do you, what do you kind of think? Do you think he did the right thing, the wrong thing, you know, going to America or do you think perhaps he should have stayed in Britain? I think he just chased the money. Um, it's known that Heyman pays his people well and I think he just chased the money. Um, it would have definitely improved his legacy if he had fought in England and just capitalised, I think, because he's probably getting less money to fight here. That's why he fought, he fought the way he did. And I guess only he knows if he's happy with what he left behind and how he's, you know, just, I guess his legacy with the public. It's still mm. kind of, it's still kind of borderline, isn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. I think, and I think, you know, kind of the things that, that you know that Eddie Hearn said when he said about that. I don't think that kind of helped him because people they you know, they call it a cult for a reason with Matram. You know, the people do really pay attention to Eddie. He's really good at. Uh, kind of speaking and he's good at you know dealing he you know, has great rapport with Coogan and that and I think people pay to pay more attention to him than perhaps they should you know you have to remember he, you know as a great promoter as he is he is a promoter at the end of the day but yeah I, I think for me I think he did the right thing because if you look at what he did after Durrell he boxes Lucy and Butte who you know was yeah he'd lost a crotch but he's still a fucking big name and there's still plenty of money and I imagine for the majority of the fights that he had in America for the rest of his career, he would have got paid seven figures for every fight. Well, that's, 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 that's his motivation. It's one of those where, you know, for his career, might have made the right move, but maybe maybe doesn't care as much about his legacy as I thought. I don't know. Mm, yeah. I mean, the, the legacy looks good in terms of, um, you know, his card, his ledger as such, but yeah. I don't know, maybe we have everyone on the street love him. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's interesting. It's interesting. You just, it's an interesting. I want to ask you about about um, comparisons with with him and other fighters uh, towards the end. Um, just looking at the end of his career, he boxes Lucien Lucien Butte, then he boxes Porky Medina. Uh, <laughs> he goes yeah. life and death with Porky Medina, even though he won you know nine rounds to three twice and eight rounds to four. Then Badu Jack, which is kind of a modern classic, wasn't it? Yeah, it made me a bit sad that one. Why? Why? Because he got his teeth knocked out. Yeah, he got his teeth knocked out. He got knocked. He got knocked down. He did get knocked down in that one. Please tell me he did. He did get knocked down in that one. Thank last round. Last round. <laughs> yes. That's... Oh, and then he was on. He was on rocky legs. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was. Yeah. Yeah. No, that fight was a tough one. I mean, someone like Badu Jack is just so consistent, but he's someone who was always so near, but yet so far. Yeah. And uh, I probably thought it'd just be another tough defense for for the girls. I didn't see the defeat coming, but. Um, mm. Yeah, Blue Jack is just one of those just guys who's not brilliant at not brilliant at any one thing. Does yeah. a lot of things really well, and I thought the girl would just find a way around it. What I'm just remembering is that before that fight, Andre Ward was I think he might have moved up by then. He certainly wasn't at super middleweight anymore. Carl Froch had retired. George Groves was rebuilding. Actually, George Groves had lost to Badu Jack. Badu Jack was WBC champion. James DeGale was IBF champion. They were number one two with ring. And I think it was for the lineal championship and the ring championship. And it ended up being a draw. And imagine if he'd have won that to Gal. Imagine what that does for his legacy. Ring magazine, lineal championship, beats Padujak, unifies WBC, IBF. It ended up being a draw. I remember on the night scoring it a draw myself. Two of the judges, Julie Lederman and Steve Weisfeld, both had it a draw. I remember on the night having it a draw myself. One thirteen all. Yeah, Jack gets dropped in the first round and then DeGale gets his tooth knocked out and then dropped in the last round as well. And it ended up being a draw, which I thought was fair. And I remember I, I, I can understand why that fight made you sad with him in the ring afterwards. Tooth's knocked out. He's talking with a bit of a lisp because his tooth's been knocked out. He's begging Floyd for a rematch. Um, but Floyd he- no, he was begging Floyd Mayweather for a rematch because Floyd Mayweather was Badu Jack's tr- uh, promoter. Oh, okay. I remember Mayweather being in the ring. He was being a bit of a dick, to be honest. <laughs> Mayweather was being a bit of a dick, and Butte was talking about moving up. Uh, not Butte, sorry. But Jack was talking about, no, I can't make the weight no more. I need to move up. La 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 la. And yeah, I remember. I can understand why that fight would make you sad because he he 
it was a hard fight. It was a really, really hard fight. And it was a, a hard fight after a string of hard fights. You know, Medina a hard fight, Butte a hard fight, Darrell a hard fight. You know, he's having really, really tough fights. And even during that Blue Water era that we'll call it, you know, where he was fighting all these kind of Eastern European guys, you know, in Bristol and in fucking Blue Water. And he was fighting all these people and they were going to a decision or they were going late. And he was having hard fights all the time. And he got old really, really quickly, DeGale. Um, and I, the, his next fight was Caleb Truax at the copper yeah. box. And he yeah. finally lost. And it kind of felt like that was coming. I don't know what you think, T. No, it was a long time coming. I think the Badoo Jack fight just exposed a lot of flaws in, in DeGale. Um, but, yeah, just... Honestly, up, up until a couple of days ago, I thought he lost that fight. It's probably kind of gutted I felt after it. <laughs> I think because he started so well, I guess, the, yeah, the, the yeah. Jack fight. He started so well, gets the knockdown. You think, yeah, he's going to coast to a decision. He's going to do a Paul Smith-type performance, and then he ends up getting tired. And Do you know, actually, it's just made me think about, he said about, because he always used to spend a lot of time on the ropes to Gale, didn't he? Yes, yes. He spent a lot of time on the ropes, and he said it was something to do with his knee. Do you remember that? Yeah, it's one of these fighters that just fights of injuries all the time. But I think he did, I remember he did mention that. Yeah, he said something about his knee, and that's why I spend time on the ropes. And then he had a knee operation, and that would fix it all. And he wouldn't have to spend so much time on the ropes. And then the next fight, he'd be back on the ropes again, kind of thing. <laughs> but that's boxers for you. You know, they have to tell themselves that there's a reason. They don't. They do, don't they? They have to. I have to tell themselves there's a reason I wasn't very good last time out, or there's a reason I'm gassing, or there's a reason for this. It can't be their fault, because if it's their fault, if they're just not good enough, then they need to stop, and they can't stop. And it's... No. Because then what else do they do? And so they have to find a reason. It's it's quite sad, really, and it it it, it goes back to what you said about him being quite an insecure character. I think most boxers are quite, you know, quite damaged people. You, that, go on. Do you think you should have a tail after the Badoo Jack fight? Uh, in hindsight yes because he, he goes life and death with Caleb Truex twice who in DeGale's best day wouldn't wouldn't have gone the distance with DeGale he had yeah. one more fight and then he lost badly to Chris Eubank Jr. at the end so yes in hindsight he probably should have quit after the Badu Jack fight because he'd made you'd like to think he'd made plenty of money by then he'd been yeah. with Al Heyman he would have been making high six figures, low seven figures for every fight. Um, he probably should have binned it after the Badu Jack fight, but you could see why he wouldn't because he's just drew. He's just had a draw, you know, and a lot, of, you know, one judge did have it for DeGale. Probably a lot of people at home had it for DeGale. And he would have told himself, no, I'm the best super middleweight in the world. Yeah, I just don't think he had much to really... I mean, I, I mean, I couldn't talk about it in hindsight. I don't think he had much to really prove at that point. I think the rematch with um, Groves had, had lost a lot of his luster as mm-hmm. well. So, yeah. you know, unless if you're going to beat an old Groves, then I don't know. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think, you know, perhaps, you know, if even if, you know, Groves would have won the super, the super Six or Super Series, if he'd have won the Super Series... I think there was some talk of him fighting De Gale, um, yeah. fight, fighting De Gale again, because I think De Gale perhaps was still a world champion around that time. Yeah, because he won the belt back in 2018. Um, so that, you know, yeah, that rematch, but yeah, you're right. They both would have been old versions of themselves. They wouldn't have been the same. 
But I think Groves would have been slightly fresher, and I think Groves probably would have stopped him if they fought again. He would have been the favourite. He would have been the favourite because before the the shoulder injury uh, against Eubank Jr. in the semi final, he was in. For me, I don't know about you, what you thought. I think Groves was in the form of his life. Yeah, he was in that Eubank Jr. fight. Everybody shit on Chris Eubank Jr. and I know it brought out your favourite meme. I.e., I think he should finish. Uh, <laughs> my brother reminded me of that the other day i love uh, it so much <laughs> for those that, that those that don't know we're talking about after groves eubank jr and prince nasim hamed was pundit that night and he was with who was it duke mckenzie did you sounds about was- right Jim McKenzie was there as well, and they were talking about afterwards, you know, what should Eubank Jr. do next? And Prince of the Team says, I think he should finish. <laughs> <laughs> and T just spammed every WhatsApp group he was in with that video for weeks and months afterwards. The and funny right, thing is, he didn't need a video afterwards, he did the image. It was just the image, that's all you needed. Like, it was like every time a team would lose a football match, every time a boxer would lose, or a tennis player, or whatever sport it was, that picture would, would pop into your head. I think you yep. should finish. doesn't matter who it was, even if they were 21 years old. And they'd, <laughs> I think you should finish. Like, it was just, it was it was brilliant. And it was Prince of Seam, like, oh, God, it was a funny. And it was a great night because we all went up there, didn't we, for that one? For, for yeah, we did rent, rent to Manny. Rent to Manny, that was good fun. That was good fun. Um, So, that yeah, the Caleb Truex fight, just going back to the Gale, he got really bashed up in that fight. I remember yeah. watching that at home and he... He got a draw on Dave Paris's card. Of course, he fucking did. Um, <laughs> but he lost eight rounds to four on one card and seven rounds to... I don't know what the fuck that card was. Um, but seven seven rounds to four and a half by the looks of it. Um, and, yeah, he lost badly at home in London. Um, yeah, with a British judge and a British ref. And he still lost comfortably. He was really beat up badly that night by Caleb Truax. And if there was a time to retire, it was probably then because he wasn't he wasn't any good in that fight. And Caleb Truax shouldn't have lived with him, really. This this, this is a this is a you know, Caleb Truax, this is a guy that was kind of like a he was kind of made he, he was there to make to make the girl look good, you know, on the night really. He wasn't he wasn't supposed to you know, he wasn't really supposed to, you know, give him much trouble. This is a guy that lost to Anthony Durrell in a round. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's, a bit, it's meant to be a bit of a coronation fight, I suppose, for... It was like a homecoming, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. It was, it was eight months, you know, it was um, 11 months after the Badoo Jack fight. He's still the IBF champion. He's still probably the number one super middleweight in the world or number two. He should have smashed up Truax and then maybe look for the Groves rematch. He ends up losing badly to Truax, you know, wide on the cards. And then he has to take the rematch against Truax over in Vegas. He ends up winning again, life and death, really yeah, tough fight. Two, two cards of 114, 113, and a really wide 117, 110 for, for DeGale. And he wins a UD and he ends up, he ends up getting the title back. He vacated the title. I remember he vacated the title because he was supposed to fight um, Jose, uh, Uzagate, Uza the guy that lost. It was Kategoria. 
Thank you. He's uh, he, he beat um, Andre Durrell as well, and yeah. he stopped Andre Durrell. He was supposed to fight him. Thought, nah, no thanks. Fuck that. I'm gonna get some money and I'm gonna get the fuck out of this. And then the Chris Eubank Jr. fight that ended his career. Memories of Chris Eubank Jr. fight? Uh, there's another one. I was a bit sad, really. I just didn't think. And there's obviously there's a bit of me I really wanted to go to roll back the years, but yeah. he just didn't have it anymore. Um, it reminded me a little bit of uh, Martinez v. Um, Koto. Right. Yeah, you know, and that, you know, he's obviously a broken old man, and you know, just twelve round. Since they're since savage, and I mean, he won comfortably enough, but yeah, the 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 period in that fight, where I just thought, mate, someone should just throw the tire, throw the towel in, man. Mm. Yeah, I, there was some. There, I remember there being a, a few rounds in the middle where he was kind of old manning Eubank Junior a bit, in yeah. the sense that he was. He was being really quite clever. I remember him. He was kind of doing a lot of jab, jab, grab. So he was kind of hitting, hitting Eubank with pot shots and then just gripping him up, letting the ref break them up and then just kind of doing it again. It was very Mayweather-esque in a way. He just kept yeah. just popping him with little shots. But then Eubank was just too fresh. He was too fresh for him. He'd, he'd not not as anywhere near as many miles on the clock. He's really comfortable at super middleweight as well. You know, he's been back at middleweight since then. And, you know, I really, really, he just, I want, you know, I, I nearly went to that fight because I, 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 I just, I really enjoyed domestic kind of world title fights, really. I just, it, not, it was a world title fight, it was for the fucking IBO title, but still, you know, um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as a fight because I like Chris Eubank Jr., but you're right, it did make you sad because the gal on his best day probably would have been too good for Eubank Jr., um, probably would have dominated him, really, and, Eubank Jr. just completely smashed him to bits with a novice trainer in his corner. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he had that fucking young guy who he wasn't really listening to anyway. Um, he'd, he'd probably, you know, he'd swept up the Mayweather gym a couple of times and that was it. They fucking made him his, made him his trainer kind of thing. It was a bit, a bit sad really. But yeah, it's a sad way to end a career. And, he, you know, he ended on 25-3-1. and one. Yeah. Short career, in it? 29 fights. It's kind of a short career, but boxed at a good level. I remember on the podcast after Groves retired, we asked the question, who had the better career, Groves or DeGale? I can't remember what your answer was. What's your answer now? I can't remember it either, so I'm probably going to contradict it. But <laughs> You I can change your mind. Nothing wrong with changing your mind. I think, um, I think DeGale, I think maybe Groves has, that, has a better career, I'd say. Right. Um, probably just the way he's thought of... I suppose is is a lot of his probably has to do with image, <laughs> image as well. I mean, you look at what you know, DeGale went on the road. You know, I think he won the belt twice on the road, didn't he? Yep. So, yep. you know, it says a lot for that. You know, it says a lot for for the girl. I think, but I, I don't know. I just I just see Groves remembered in a better way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think I think Groves. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I think DeGale probably in a way achieved more. So, yeah. you know, he, he obviously won the Olympic gold. If, you, if, you, if we're including that, then he's won the Olympic gold. He, he won the IBF title twice. He boxed in America multiple times. He beat really good. He beat good fighters. You know, he drew with Badu Jack, beat Lucien Butte, beat Andre Durrell, you know, smashed Paul Smith to pits, but so did, so did George as well. You know, lost his title to Caleb Truex. Yeah, but he won it back. And that's a credit to him that he, that he lost the title badly 
And then he, he went to America and won it straight back again. And you've got to admire that in him, really. And he made plenty of money boxing in America. Didn't settle to box at home. And you could say, you know, Groves only won one, one, one world title. And, you know, Andre Durrell's probably the tougher way to win it than the way Groves won it. You know, oh. winning it at home, you know, winning it at home the way he did, um, you know, against Fidel uh, Trudinov, you know, and then boxing Jamie Cox and, you know, Eubank Jr. It's, it's you know, I, I think they both had really similar, they both had good careers. They should both be proud of their careers. I just wanted to ask you, back. you'll remember back then, back Back then, there was always there was you know there was Paul Smith, Carl Froch was kind of was around. You had George, so you had George Groves, James DeGale, Carl Froch, all kind of around. And you may remember, you may not. Sky or Boxing News or Boxing Monthly or whatever would always like to bring out the comparisons between that group of fighters and the Nigel Ben, Chris Eubank, Michael Watson type fighters. Do you remember that that they that they would do that quite a lot? There was always that kind of comparison. I think they're pretty much a gold standard for everyone that's come since. So yeah, I mean, Sky always pushed that narrative, and yeah, it's no different them. How do you how do you think they compare? As so, say if we talk about those three, we talk about Eubank, Ben, and Watson, and then you've got Froch, Groves, the Gale. How do you think they compare those two? I think Foch would have probably lived in the era more easily than than the other two. Um, I don't see where the other two would fit in. So, for example, if they were around in the 90s, what would you have known them for? I mean, you'd have known DeGale for winning the belt, but I don't think we'd have heard of Groves too much. But, yeah, I think think them two are four, or five and six. Yeah. I, I think, I think... I think as fighters, as boxers, I think they would have lived with them. I think they would have competed with with Eubank and uh, with Eubank and Ben. More even, you know, to an you know to an extent, Eubank beat a lot of muck. He beat a lot of muck in his career. Oh shitloads. Loads of muck. And and Nigel, Nigel, you know, Nigel Ben, you know, beat quite a bit of muck as well. He, you know. He beat some fucking good fighters as well. He probably beat better fighters than Chris Eubank Sr. did. I think it's obvious that he did. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, George Groves and James DeGale live with them too. I think as boxers. I think, I think their legacies kind of stand up. But I think, yeah, I think you make a good point about would they have been known? Would they have been big stars in that era? I think you're right. Probably not. Probably not. But I think in, if they had a six-man six man tag team match, you know, <laughs> I think that you know Froch, Froch grows in the gal might have just nicked the W. You know, I think it's a it's, it's a it's a good comparison. I think the Froch waiting is a lot more than, than the others. He yeah. was a lot. Of, he was doing a lot of the heavy lifting there. Yeah, it's like having Hulk Hogan on your side in the six-man tag match. You know, he's just gonna hit a couple of leg drops and take a couple of people out of there. Like it's. Uh... And actually, there was another. There was another. There was another kind of era of boxers. And that that were always compared to those guys as well. And it was Matthew Macklin, Andy Lee, Darren Barker, and Martin Murray. And do you remember that silly round table that they did? And they all they all um was it the gloves are off and they all sit around the table and Johnny Nelson's there. Do you remember that? They used to sit around the table and I remember the show, I don't remember them being on it. Yeah, they was all on it and they all sat around the table and basically spoke about fighting each other. And they never did. They never fought each other. Like, I don't... Macklin didn't fight Barco. He didn't fight Murray. Um, how do you think, like, fights between, like, 
I don't know, say Macklin and Barker would have win. Oh, it's difficult to say, man. I think Barker was kind of treading water, but then he kind of had a bit of a renaissance. So I'd probably back, I probably would back Barker. Yeah. Yeah, I think it'd just be, um, I could just be on point. I mean, someone like Macklin is just, um, I don't know, I think, I think he's probably made for for Barker, I'd say. I, I you know, Matthew Macklin's, I, I really quite, I, I think he's one of the better pundits on the sky. Yeah, as, yeah. As a, I remember as a boxer, really, really not rating him, and he beat Asakainen for the European title in a round. Yeah, I remember uh, that knockout. Yeah, and after that, he was kind of viewed as like this massive puncher, and and as being like much better than what he actually was. Um, and I think uh, Martin Murray's similar in that regard, where. He had a close fight with Felix Stern, but everybody has a close fight with Felix Stern. The amount of fucking split decisions that guy's had is ridiculous. You know, he had a close fight with Martinez over in Argentina when, you know, he was on the way out, Martinez, his knees were starting to go. And he was kind of viewed upon as like this really, really good fighter. And it was, I never really got it with Martin Murray or Matthew Macklin. Um, Andy Lee, I quite like. I like him on Sky. I liked him as a fighter. But again, for someone with really long arms, he was really easy to get inside. Um, like and he was really easy to hit, but he had them. He was a south. He was a rangy southpaw. You should have been the most <laughs> awkward fucker ever. Like he should have been really fucking awkward to fight, but he wasn't. He was easy to hit, and it's just those guys were always compared to the Eubanks and Bens, but they they weren't in the same same league really. They just weren't. They were they were kind of um, a level below. Um, yeah. So that's that's about it really. T. We've kind of covered everything really. Um, with with the Gale and actually how do you think you know say they would have met Frotch and De Gale how do you think that would have gone? Uh, Frotch all day long. Yeah. <laughs> Frotch all day long. I think um, I think someone like De Gale he doesn't. I think against rangy pressure fighters he doesn't look good at all. And Frotch would have got a decision even if De Gale made it a bit awkward. Frotch would get a decision anyway. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, me and Flav are going to do a, a Frotch podcast in the week at some point. So I don't want to say too much about Frotch. But the thing about him was he was a really... He lived kind of around that 12-stone mark. Yeah. And so he was in brilliant shape. Like, brilliant, brilliant shape. He used to, like, fucking time his runs and write him in little notebooks and shit, didn't he? I remember George Groves taking the piss out of him about that at one point. <laughs> oh, you're writing your little notebook, are you, Carl? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he used to like do his times and stuff. I remember him saying it in an interview, saying, "Yeah, you know, my my runs are really good, my times are good. I write them in my book, la la la, my little book. My times are really good." But he lived around that twelve stone. He wasn't blowing up like George Groves was or Ricky Hatton. You know, he was always around twelve stone, always ready to fight, and he was he just had a really really good engine on him. And I think that's what got him through a lot of fights. Because he was just he just had a good engine, always in really good shape, and I just think he just would have been too strong, too tough for someone like De Gale. Um, but yeah. it would have been a good fight. It would have been a good fight, um, and I think that's a good way to end. T. Yeah, I think yeah, that's mate. a good way. Anyway, nice one. Uh, talk to you soon. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.